Blog Talk Radio. Don't mind if you got something nice to say about me. I enjoy an accolade like the rest. And you could take my picture and hang it in. Good morning and welcome to Solutions Live Personal Edition. I'm your host, Chickie Fitzgerald, coming to you from Tampa, Florida. Solutions provides practical advice from authors and experts on a wide range of topics for professionals to help you leave your legacy. Thursday's lineup begins with our new segment, Real Life Heroes, at 10 a.m. At 10.30, we showcase the next generation in our show on Kids with Character. At 11 a.m., Giving and Faith in the Marketplace. And at 11.30 a.m., Intellectual Gumbo, which is a wrap-up of the week with my co-host, Chris Bradshaw. Stick around for that and add some spice into your day. Well, good morning. It is Thursday, May 7th, and uh, I actually could pre-record this portion. It is another glorious day in Tampa, Florida. I haven't been outside yet, but the sun is shining and the sky is blue. Um, We have just a great lineup this morning, uh, as usual. At 10 a.m., we are going to be talking with Jared Matthew Kessler, who is the author of a really unique book uh, that tells his personal story uh, as both the hero and uh, and uh, some of the heroes in his life. Uh, that book is called The Poet and the Billionaire. At 10.30, we are going to be joined by a teacher from Cambridge Christian School here in Tampa, Florida, and three of his students and we are going to hear a little bit about uh, uh, an activity they're going to do tomorrow. And actually, I am going to join them as a, a sponsor of the event called Enterprise Village and talking about how uh, this particular school is building up those kids uh, to be able to face the real world out there. And then at 11 uh, o'clock, we are going to be joined by Briar Rose and uh, Leah Grimanis. And Leah heads up an organization in Toronto called Up With Women. We are going to be hearing about not only the plight of the homeless, uh, but just some really great things that both Leah and Briar Rose are doing. And then at 11.30, I am hoping to be joined by my co-host, Chris Bradshaw, in Dallas, Texas. And uh, we will do our normal weekly wrap-up at 11.30, which is called Intellectual Gumbo. Let me turn to our first guest uh, and get him on the air. Bear with me one second here. Good morning, Jared. Hey, good morning, Chicky. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? (laughs) Well, I know it's very, very early for you. You are out in California, and I am so glad that you were uh, willing to set your alarm a little bit earlier this morning and, uh, and get up and join Solutions Live. No, thanks for joining me. Actually, I, I always said it. Usually, it's about five a.m., so uh, I'm always working out in the morning and oh, so you got to, you uh, got get to ready for late. the day. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, I'm kind of a, uh, I, I go to bed early, wake up early, and uh, you know, just kind of used to that kind of thing. Got it, got it. Well, I want to read just uh, the intro from your website because I think that this actually sets the stage uh, the best for what we're sure. going to be talking about this morning. Clutching an acoustic guitar in one hand and a beat-up journal in the other, Jared Matthew Kessler sat in his 177.5-square-foot bachelor apartment with no job, an unsupportive family, $20,000 in credit card debt, 
physically and mentally drained and out of shape. On the verge of giving up and his parents begging him to get a real job, Jared stared blankly at the trail of ants covering his psychology degree, wondering, why is this happening to me? On his knees crying, I do not want to live like this anymore, Jared began a search to find someone that could help. Sending out a massive amount of emails to everyone he knew, only one person responded, and this is their conversation. And Jared, that, that is the intro you wrote to help people understand what the poet and the billionaire uh, is, and, and I am really looking forward to getting a copy of it and reading it. But as I understand it, the book is actually... Uh, kind of a recap of, of the conversation, which I'm assuming is, is over a period of time. Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about your background? I know uh, you originally started as, as a singer and songwriter back in 1997, um, but but tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, man, you know, even listening to you read that, it's, uh, um, you know, I, I, it's it's been a, a, an interesting journey of really just um, – there's just never been a final destination, you know? Um, and, and this book talks about the whole process of, I guess, becoming, um, uh, working harder on yourself than, than you do on your job. And it was, it was really, um, it never meant to be a book. And the, the interesting thing was, um, I guess a, a, a pinnacle was that, uh, I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. I don't know if uh, you know anybody listening here familiar with that. And oh, one thing in there um, jumped out, and it, it talked about, uh, it talked about the difference between an advisor and, and a mentor. And all you know, up until my, my whole life, I, I just realized I was listening to advisors. I mean, people that you know, people that really meant well, but just they weren't where I wanted to be. And it was really frustrating because um, you know, I I, I just I wasn't looking to be anybody other, you know, other than me. I don't know how, how cheesy or, or whatever that sounds, but I, I just always had a, a vision to do more than what I felt I was really sold to be. And I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people, whether it's family or society, that, that sell us on a, on a perception of, of what they want us to be rather than, than, than um, our own idea of who we want to be. And I see so many people that were just, you know, a- along a path for, for about 10 years now, just um, settle for less than who they are. And it just really bothered me. So, you know, I- I've-, I've never meant to write this book. We never meant to turn it into a book. And it's kind of interesting saying that because it is a book. But, um, you know, after two years of conversation, we looked back and we thought, wow, you know, this is really great to share. So it really was a conversation, um, you know, just to kind of explain that it was, um, you know, because he's in a different part of the country. And, and when I asked him, I said, you know, I'm just looking for somebody to kind of help me, um, you know, get to where I want to be. And uh, what, what do I need to do in order to do that? You know, can you can you be by my side? Because I, I, I don't really have a support network. And, I, I loved music, but you know, since I didn't have that support network, I used books on psychology to to, to you know pull myself up on my own bootstraps. If that if that kind of makes any sense. Well, it does, and, Jared, and I, I think it's interesting because you know when when you talked about how people you know look 
uh, or normally surround their, their, themselves with advisors and they don't go that last step to mentoring. I actually think we've gone one step further away from that and we're getting advice from strangers you know, via Twitter, via Facebook, yeah. um, you know, people that we've never met, we don't know their character, um, yeah. and and we don't know their motives. And and I think that that is so critical in in finding somebody to help guide your path. So so what happened next? So I mean, no, absolutely true. Um, and I I really looked to him for support, and it's funny because. I, you know, I really thought the the quote in the billionaire was gonna be about this guy, you know, being mentored by this self made man in the entertainment industry. I'm gonna apply everything that he tells me to do, and then I'm gonna go through this, and then I'm just gonna share the story of, um, you know, of following all these principles that he told me, and I'm gonna be the successful person. But the amazing thing is that I, I, now I, I talked to somebody the other day about this, is that. I so wanted to turn it into what I wanted it to be instead of accepting it for what it was. And and when I when I did that, you know, we try to make it so much more glorious than it really is. But when I, I really accepted it for what it really is, which is a conversation just back and forth that I just felt obligated to share because there's some amazing stuff that's not being talked about and happening in real time. Um, when I really accepted that, the the book was done, so it was it was a, a you know about a four year process of putting trying to um, transcribe um, the actual his responses to sort of my question and how do I get through these things uh, you know in the hardest time of my life and um, it, it it became just a journey of and that's why the subtitle is a personal journey of conversation because that's what it was it wasn't it wasn't like you know, it, it, it was just, okay, I know the answer. I'm going to share all these principles with everybody. Right, you thought it was really, a formula. You thought it was a yeah, formula. Yeah, I really did. Follow. And, and no matter how hard I tried, it was so frustrating because I really wanted it to be like that. It wasn't. But I realized that it, it, it kind of came full circle. A lot of my songs early as, as a songwriter, um, you know, starting off early, a, a lot of my songs were really stories. And it just comes full circle in that I realized that, that I was the answer to all of the questions that I thought he had the answers to. Oh, <laughs> and, wow, that's interesting. And, and, and it, was, um, it was amazing so you realization. Were the ans- you were seeing the answers unfold in your life. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. In, instead yes. of looking externally, that you know, exactly. and, and that's really interesting. How many times does that happen to us that that we lament where we are, and yeah. you know, the the answer is right in front of us. I, I was talking to somebody the other day about you know how uh, I, I have been ahead of the curve in a lot of the things that I have done. And, you know, when you're ahead of the curve, you don't know whether you're just right around the bend or whether, you know, like you're years ahead of the curve. Yeah, and, you know, And when you've got something, um, you know, kind of disruptive going on in your lives, you, you don't know what it's setting you up for. And one of the things I take people through in, in my mentoring and coaching is having them draw a line that represents their lives. And those things that they perceive to be the really bad things end up being the dark circle on the life. Yeah. But then if they plot out the diamond, you know, the, the really wonderful thing that couldn't have happened if they hadn't gone through that. Right. You know, and I think that's what you're talking about is that you thought those diamonds were going to come from words of wisdom coming out of 
his mouth, but it sounds yeah. like what and, happened and is he just strengthened yeah. you to be able to get there. Exactly. And, I, you know, and I really, really think, I, you know, I, I know some, um, you know, I have some friends that are psychologists and everything, really gifted people, and I really think, you know, um, the great mentors or the great coaches out there, they, they don't give you the answers. They help you to find within <laughs> themselves. And the thing is that I wrote a, a blog about this on, uh, you know, on, on my site, and, um, you know, I, I put him on my um uh, uh, on my mailing list there, and he, he gets them. And you know, he really, he really took to something that I said before, which is um, somebody asked me uh, not too long ago in, in a part of California about speaking. Are you successful? And I thought about it and really wanted to say something. But what came to me is, I, I responded back. I said, it, it depends who I compare myself to. Mm-hmm. And it really, I, you know, I, I mean, if and I thought about that. I went to the gym that day, and I was running on the treadmill. And I saw a guy with, with about a, a six-inch lift on one side of, of his shoe. And, I'm, and, you know, kind of limping along. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so grateful that I could run on this treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went back later. I see a, a foreclosure sign. And I'm saying I'm so grateful that that's in my house. You know, I, I went to a seminar not too long ago. A guy lost 80% of, of his income, of, of his net worth, which was $40 million, and I'm doing the math, okay, so he has $8 million. Now, who wouldn't want that? But, you know, <laughs> people don't think that they're, you know, I mean, you know, it depends whatever level, really, who we compare ourselves to. And um, th- this whole journey throughout The Poet and the Billionaire was, was understanding that, um, you know, how we put people up on pedestals, um, you know, which creates kind of a sense of separation, and it says that they have the answer that I don't, and right. I'm not, I, I don't necessarily really believe that. Well, you know, Jared, one of the things that hit me in, in reading your background is you described yourself as a self-sufficient one-man machine that could not be stopped despite any and all circumstances. And, you know, it's funny because what what you're describing is that before finding this relationship that you describe in the book, you actually did feel self-sufficient. But but as you do that comparison that you just talked about in comparing yourself with yourself, which is, I think, what, what ended up coming out of this. I is think that's you, a great you, point. Yeah, then you got to measure your progress of how you thought, and again, I'm, I'm, maybe I should just turn this into a question, did you think that self-sufficiency was actually the good thing? And what you found out is that you actually couldn't be self-sufficient without, uh, you know, a stronger power in your life, which ended up being, you know, kind of turning things over and saying, I can't do it by myself. No, Chicky, I think that a really great thing that really came up um, in, in that while I was thinking is that um, – he said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> I mean, um, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, I've, I've accomplished a lot before. I, I guess depending on who I really compare myself to, but I've, I've, I've really, um, from where I was and, and the type of person and the things that I was doing, I was really accomplished a lot before I even asked him to mentor me. And, you know, it, it, it's... Even in, in my field and your field, I guess the frustrating thing is you know you could help so many people, but you, you just there's some people that, that you can't, and it's about leading a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink, you know? Right. And he was that person that always led me to that water, that always, um, you know, I, I guess from, from his standpoint, um, I, I'm, 
I was a really a great student. I mean, I loved, I was already on the path. Like I said, the first book that I read was like The Road Less Traveled in, in 97, and that opened up a tremendous amount of doors, and I thought, wow, this is great. I didn't necessarily love the, the psychology that I was, I was studying in school, but I found amazing books um, outside of uh, college that, um, uh, you know, really led me onto this path. But the important thing is, is that, yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's no way that he would have spent this amount of time uh, of his, really, uh, if I wasn't already on a certain path and I wasn't already, you know, willing to um, do the things that he would say. And, I mean, I one of the parts was I didn't talk to my dad for two years. I had to write a forgiveness letter, a gratitude letter to my dad. I mean, mm. you know, that's the hardest thing um, to, 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 to pull out of yourself. Somebody that doesn't support you, that's, that's told you that I'm paying for half of college, you have to study for business, and I come crying every night because I don't want to, you know, and right. not wanted to go to art school and all this other stuff, but to dig so deep. Um, and I did a lot of that work, and it's, it's, it's never-ending. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, right. it's, 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 it's never-ending. Well, let's go back a little bit to, to some of the, the details of your story. You, you were a musician, and you, uh, you did over 400 shows, and, and as you describe yourself, you were beyond burnt out. You, you yeah. definitely had run out of money. And, yeah. uh, you know, you finally had to end your solo acoustic career back in 2003. And I've got to say, you know, I've listened to your music um, on the Internet, and, it, you know, it's just amazing stuff. Thanks. So it, it had to be hard to leave behind. So where, where did that play in the timeline of, of your, your discovery of, of what it was going to be that would give you breakthrough? Well, and I, I, it was uh, – I, I always looked at – um, I, you know, there's always been a, a balance between, I guess, psychology. I've had a weird background, okay, compared to, I guess, most types of musicians. I, I loved going to cafes. I loved reading books on psychology. I loved, you know, um, having just regular conversation. Um, I could be at a cafe for hours and just write. And um, I, you know, doing the music earlier on as uh, as a singer-songwriter, I love that, but that's what I could financially afford to do. I mean, it's really easy financially. It's just to pick up an acoustic guitar and, and, and play. And that was kind of my way of really getting out and connecting. And if anybody you know, saw me play in, in the cafes early years and everything, I really wanted to put on a show. And I, I really couldn't do that um, in the places that I was playing. So it, it began to get really... Um, really frustrating. I, you know, I, a few months into my career, I opened up for Electric Light Orchestra. That was a great thing. And then after that, you have some really, you know, I think a day after that, I played in, at a cafe in front of two people. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh. It was amazing <laughs> highs, highs and, and lows. Right. Right. Uh, and, you know, I used, you know, in the book, The Poet and the Billionaire, I used the poet as kind of like um, I'm... The, the starving artist type thing, the, the singer-songwriter type starving artist, poetic kind of guy. And, you know, I really, I, I stopped it because it got to be, I mean, originally I did it because I loved doing it. It didn't get to be fun anymore. And, and I think it was a really important decision of mine um, at, at that point. I just, I just wasn't having fun. 
And uh, I think if you're passionate about anything, you know, whoever is listening, I think it's really important to understand, you know, if you have a certain passion for something, you're going to find a way. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what's in your way. I mean, you're going to find a way. So when I, I, I stopped Shiki in uh, uh, about 2003, I, I came back to it in 2006, and, you know, my laptop died. I was doing my book, and uh, I wound up getting a new laptop, and I, I discovered the music that I wanted to make since day one. But 10 years ago, I mean, I, I couldn't afford to do what I could do now. So it, okay. it came full circle with that. And, and the album that you released uh, from that experience, was that uh, Fighting to Be Me? <laughs> it is. It is. Got it. It is. Um, it. And it, moving mountains, have, which, yeah. you know, I, I love that metaphor. And, you know, you use that in, in the graphic, uh, you know, on, I, I guess, I don't know whether it's all of your albums, but but the whole notion of moving mountains is, is clearly a biblical principle that, you know, we have been promised that even if we have the faith of a mustard seed, which is one of the tiniest of all seeds that produces the uh, most fruitful and, and most uh, shade-bearing trees of all, uh, that that's all we need to move the mountains in our life. And, you know, I think as, as we uh, kind of circle to, to the end of your story, that that's really what ended up happening is you found that you couldn't find all the strength inside of yourself, you know, just with what what you had been given, what you had been dealt right. in your life, which was clearly right. you were given a lot of talent. Right. But when you try to do that, you know, all on your own, um, you know, you, you end up in that futile place. I mean, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a matter of um, uh, just... Uh, you know, we just discussed that. I think we we talked briefly before. So, you know, in the morning, just asking for for guidance, showing me right. where. You know, with whatever anybody believes, it's just saying. You know, where where do I what do I need to do today? Show me where I need to go. Show me what I need to do. And and really, and and uh, you know, uh, there's that quote as um, you know, oh, I'm waiting for God. And and somebody says, well, God is waiting on you. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's 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 um, these ideas that we get. I mean, and, and I came up, um, I, I'm working on a, a social networking site, just really niche specific, and somebody said, oh, that's a really great idea. But everybody's given these great ideas. And, you know, it's, it's our, um, you know, it, it's, it's part of our um, responsibility to really just go through with that. And it, it, it's a matter of knowing what, what's your purpose here? You know, I mean, what, why, why are you here on, on this on this planet? And I just, I, I see, I guess, too many um, people that are just think that they're here to do their job, and that that's that's not why you're here. You know, I think uh, I think I mentioned, or I heard you guys mention that uh, on a previous show. You talked about Dave Ramsey and some some other people, but Dan Miller, who's a great uh, author, talks about um, in his book Forty Eight Days the difference between your your job your career and your calling. I mean, I know part of my calling was the poet and the billionaire. Part of my calling was fighting to be me, um, putting those out. Part of my calling is just speaking in, in July and just saying what you, you're just passionate about and you're right. doing on the planet. Well, <laughs> what know? I love, and, and you actually uh, use this at the end of your, your uh, bio, is, is that you know, your mission and your calling is to give hope to those without it. And, you know, when you've been in a place where, you know, 
on the surface and in the natural, it looks like there is no way. And I know many people uh, and many of our listeners are, are in a place financially. You know, they're upside down in their houses. They're, you know, may, maybe it's not being foreclosed on, but, you know, they don't know how they're going to get through. And, uh, you know, I know my husband and I are going through many of the same things. And as you and I talked about, we, we have, uh, in fact, we're just about to complete uh, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course, which, uh, you know, I highly, highly, highly recommend, uh, particularly if you're young. You know, I mean, it's okay for those of us who are in our 50s, but, uh, man, I wish I had learned these principles when I was 20. And, you know, as we go into the next segment after your show, we're going to be talking to some kids who are going uh, tomorrow to something called Enterprise Village. And uh, this is where they learn actually the principles of business in their real life. And, you know, I think you and I – you and I, we weren't exposed to a lot of those things. And if, if you don't have parents that were either supportive or who were capable of teaching, and, you know, and I said to my husband when we came home from the first Dave Ramsey course, oh, man, I wish my parents had taught me this stuff. And it's yeah, not that yeah. they knew it and chose to yeah. keep it a secret. They didn't yeah. know. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, and I, I mean, I've been doing Dave Ramsey's, you know, the, the billionaire who I call my, in my book is has introduced me to him, and uh, you know not personally, but introduced me to his book right. back a number of years ago. And uh, you know I'm so happy that I am growing my business debt free. Um, I'm gonna be you know I haven't used a credit card in five years. My my uh, girlfriend she's paid off over twenty thousand dollars so far, um, and just you know going strong. And yeah, we're we're growing it a hundred percent debt free. Matter of fact, this July I mean I, is the date that I'm going to be screaming and calling in, hopefully, you know, to be 100% debt-free. But, yeah, I haven't used credit cards in, oh, in probably over five years. Thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a powerful thing. And, you know, it's, it's because it's, it's not what's popular, but it's what's right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's a huge thing. So here's the, here's the million-dollar question, Jared. Who, uh-huh. who's, who is the hero in this story? Um. That's a great. That's that's a really great question. Um, it, it points back to the individual. Point back to. Um, uh, it provides insight, and it doesn't provide an answer. It's a book of. It's a book of questions instead of a book of, of answers, and um, I'm not sure that there really is uh, a hero, but it helps to uh, put a mirror in front of others people's faces and right. says, uh, maybe I need to be doing something different. You know, maybe I am the answer. Maybe, you know, um, uh, everybody else I've, I've, I've tried to put on pedestals saying they have the answer that I don't, and that's not necessarily true, you right. know. And, and I know you talk about, um, you know, people are going through this and, and uh, you know, with the economy and stuff like that. You, you make a way where there is no way. You, you found a way out before you'll find find a way out again. I mean, there's, there's no question. Sometimes we get in our own ways. Right. And um, there's, there's a quote that, uh, uh, that, that was vital in, in my understanding is uh, we were told no 148,000 times by the time we hit 18. And that was a quote I read in a book in 1990. I mean, you know, how <laughs> we're, we're 10 years later. I mean, how many times, how many knows, and I wrote about this in a blog, how many knows how many of those no's have we told ourselves? Right. And 
it's a daily process, Chicky. It's it's really a daily process and and working harder on yourself than you do on your job. Not because it's popular, because it's the right thing to do. Right. And I think we all have a responsibility. It's doing the best we can. It's leading by example, not by instruction. Because it, honestly, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters more what I do. Right. And I, I think that's 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 huge. So uh, you know, I, going back to your question, I don't I don't know that there is a hero. Um, but, but it's definitely something um, that it points people back to looking at themselves for the answers instead of everyone else because you but have Jared, the answer. Can, can you share your website and how people can get a hold of your book? And you mentioned your blog, uh, so how, how they can uh, get to that. Yeah, I also want to mention too. You know, I told some people. I said, "Hey, uh, the the first uh, I want to mention the first three people that that sign up on my mailing list uh, within the next few hours. I'm gonna uh, the first three people. I'm gonna send an autographed copy uh, to. So if you go to do I get to be www. one of those three people? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Send me an email. I'm gonna uh, I'll shoot you one. And uh, so you can go to uh, www.jaredmatthewkessler.com. That's uh, J-A-R-E-D-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. And uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. I mean, I have uh, uh, you know, music available there, uh, some stuff we talked about briefly, but uh, you know, a few years back, uh, some great stuff going on with that. Uh, you know, I'm booking speaking engagements in July, which is a, a new thing for me, which I'm excited about. So I have oh, a few okay. shows already for that. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, shoot me an email. You know, people, I had somebody say, oh, I'm so happy you talked to me and you're this famous guy. I'm like, you know, you shoot me an email, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> this or that person, but, uh, you know, people send me an email, I, I, I respond. I mean, that, that's well, what I do. Great. Well, again, I really appreciate you uh, joining us so early your time, and it has been a, a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit better, and I am hoping we will stay connected, Jared. Absolutely. Thank you so much and the, you know, the work that you're doing, J.K., and uh, it's just uh, it's really great stuff, so I, I'm really honored. Thanks for having me again. Well, terrific. Go on and leave your legacy, Jared. Absolutely. Take care. Take care. Okay, great. Well, that set us up just perfectly. Uh, one of my favorite things that Jared said was, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And uh, our next guest, and uh, actually our next group of guests, is from Cambridge Christian School here in Tampa, Florida. And uh, we have with us Mr. John Wilson, who is a fifth grade teacher at Cambridge Christian. And I believe we are also joined by Nettie, Kendall, and Joshua. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys all doing? Good. Great. Terrific. Is everybody ready for Enterprise Village tomorrow? Yes. Oh, boy. Well, I can't wait. It is has been on my calendar for a while, and I am excited. So, Mr. Wilson, can you tell us a little bit about Enterprise Village and and why Cambridge Christian chooses to incorporate this into the curriculum for the fifth grade class. Um, well, basically, Enterprise Village is an economic education program provided by the Gustavos Institute in Largo, Florida, and that program focuses on teaching the children the basics of the free enterprise system and capitalism. Um, 
at Cambridge Christian School, we think it's very important to teach the whole child. And uh, when I came over here to become a teacher, I thought it would be important for the children to understand not just about money, but how to manage and use money as a tool for their dreams. So we know the American dream is business ownership, so I felt like the program at Enterprise Village was a great place to start educating the children at Cambridge Christian School about that. Well, I have been really impressed in in taking a look at Enterprise Village's uh, whole program, and, and what they have done is pull together uh, a complete curriculum which allows you to spend time in the classroom studying those economic education objectives and teaching them about the practical things about writing checks and keeping a checkbook register. Uh, I remember learning that in the Girl Scouts. Uh, so I am so glad that it's now being incorporated into curriculum. And, you know, I think it's interesting for those who haven't seen um, the Enterprise Village layout. The space uh, is actually similar to a shopping mall, as I understand. And during the business day tomorrow, uh, these students are going to work in one of 20 businesses. Uh, they'll take three breaks. They'll actually receive paychecks and have the opportunity to be consumers by making purchases in one of the business-sponsored storefronts. And, you know, I mean, I just I have never seen anything like this, and I, I'm just so excited to be able to see it firsthand. Um, what, what have you gone through uh, over the last few weeks with your students in, in preparing for the Enterprise Village experience? Well, um, the program is 11 units, uh, objective-based, and it teaches the children the basics about free enterprise from simple economic terms to check writing, account management, making good business decisions, uh, teamwork, and even ethics um, in the business place and individually as citizens of Enterprise Village. So it's very comprehensive, um, and it's a lot of good information. And how did you go about assigning uh, the different roles and responsibilities? I, I was there the day that you announced uh, the, the jobs that each one of the kids was going to have. I know that that had to be a, a pretty pretty tough task. Uh, definitely. Uh, that's one of the challenges of Enterprise Village. It really mirrors real world. You have a limited number of positions, um, and then some of those positions are just seen by the student's perspective as being, you know, the position. So you have a lot of competition as the children fill out their applications for the jobs, uh, positions as manager or bookkeeper. You know, the positions vary depending on the business, but some of those positions stick out to the children as the job. So I uh, stress to the students the importance of a first impression with their application, uh, neatness, uh, quality of answers and completeness, and we also allow the children to take a abilities and interest charting uh, survey or test, so to speak, to find out and to help the children understand, you know, what were they naturally inclined to being good at. Um, so I took their applications and their abilities and interest charts and you know, my evaluations of them throughout the school year. We're fortunate to take our trip to Enterprise Village towards the end of the school year, and I've had, you know, a whole semester and a half to evaluate the children and see how they interact and see where their strengths lie to help place them in those positions. And then 
Um, once it came down to making the nitty-gritty decision, I just kind of combined all those things and most of all tried to place the students in a position for them to succeed um, of the, at the day of Enterprise Village. Right. Actually, uh, the thing that I observed about that process, uh, Mr. Wilson, that, that was so cool is actually when you were going through all of the jobs, some of the jobs that, that you know you might think were more preferable um, or, or less preferable, actually, you know, the kids who got them actually were cheering. And, you know, that's the really cool thing is that, that we aren't all meant to be management and we aren't all meant to be in that support position, you know, behind the scenes. And we aren't all meant to be frontline people, that we each have skills and talents that bring us there. So what order do you want to uh, go through things with, with the kids? Well, we're going to let Nettie speak first. She is the manager at Big Graphics USA uh, at Enterprise Village, and she's sitting right here uh, ready to answer your questions. Terrific. Well, Nettie, good morning. So your job at Enterprise Village is to manage things at the Big Graphics Shop. What, what are the responsibilities and, and the, the tasks that you'll be doing in that job? I'll have to get a bank loan, set prices, print advertising letters, sign checks, supervise employees and make business decisions, set production goals, and make sure everything's going well. Wow. And and what were the qualifications on your application that you think Mr. Wilson saw that, that made you perfect for that job? I think he saw that if anything came my way that I could do it and find a way to complete it. Cool. You know, that that's a really important job, uh, an important part of being a successful leader is having that attitude that you can do anything. And in the previous interview that we just had, we were hearing from a guy who was actually a musician trying to make money selling uh, his records and, and also selling a book he wrote. And he said that all his life he had been hearing no, 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 no. And I know I use that a lot with my kids. Uh, so it's really important to have that yes attitude. I'm glad to hear that that's what uh, Mr. Wilson saw. So who else is a part of your team, Nettie? Well, I have a bookkeeper, two assemblers, one customer service associate, and two sales representatives. Wow, that's a big team. And so how have you guys uh, worked together uh, prior to going to Enterprise Village to make sure that you're going to be successful as a team? Well, we've took in the paperwork and we've split it so everyone's doing something and no one's left out and that everyone gets a chance to try to do everything. Oh, that's great. So what do you think is going to be the most important part of your job tomorrow? I think that is just keeping everything in order, making sure we do everything we're supposed to do. And and so when you, uh, the very first thing you do is to actually apply uh, for the loan to get the money to run the business. And and I've just been through that in real life and and had to raise money for a business. Um, so the, that really is the first thing that has to go well for everybody, right? Because your your uh, employees won't have a job if that doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, how how are you going to know at the end of the day tomorrow that your group has been successful? Well, I'll know if 
we can make a profit and pay back the bank loan. And if everyone's happy and they think they had a good time. Cool. And uh, hopefully you've also sold some things and, and that your clients are happy with the service that you provide, right? Yeah. Terrific. Well, Nettie, I can't wait uh, to watch what happens at Big Graphics tomorrow and to hear from you next week about uh, how how the actual experience married up to what your expectations were because that that's part of uh, owning a business as well as being able to learn uh, from the real world of, of what happens instead of what we just call the business theory. All right. So is, is Kendall next? Yes, ma'am. She's ready and willing. All right. Kendall, tell me about your job tomorrow. Well, I'm a designer slash printer at Verizon. And what I do is I work on a computer and design ads for all the businesses. Great. So Nettie's going to be needing needing your help in making sure that people hear about big graphics? Yeah. Okay, great. So so what are the, the actual responsibilities that you're going to have tomorrow and the different tasks uh, that you'll be carrying out throughout the course of the day? Well, I have to purchase supplies from Ditech, uh-huh. learn to operate a computer, <laughs> Design an ad for each business wow. for the website. Print them, and then actually some of the other people on my team help me collate and bind the web pages. Very cool. So, um, who who else is a part of your team? There are two sales representatives slash ad agents. Uh huh. One. Keeper and one manager. Got it. And um, what what were the qualifications that you think that Mr. Uh, Wilson saw in you, Kendall, that that made you perfect for this role? Well, um, I think he saw that I was willing to do any job, and that I'm perceptive and coordinated, so I could be the designer without having too much trouble. Are you creative? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Do you like art? Yeah. Mrs. Hall will be happy to hear that. <laughs> well, very cool. So what has what your team done uh, to prepare for tomorrow? How, how has the manager of, of your organization at DiTech uh, helped get you guys prepared? Well... We also split up the paperwork, but the bookkeeper and the manager had, like, the more important ones. And then the two sales reps and me, we made the radio ad and newspaper ad Mm -hmm. for it. And yesterday, we got our checkbooks ready. And And we made our name tags, too. Great, great. Now, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that they got kind of the more important stuff, but you know what? At DiTech tomorrow, um, you are actually creating the product, uh, and without a product, uh, nobody else can do their job. So it's interesting how, uh, you know, if you take a look at, at how a team works together, 
uh, it really all has to hang together. And I think what you're going to find, and, and we're going to hear hopefully from you next Thursday when we talk about what you learned, is that you all have to work together and that it's kind of like the body. The eyes aren't more important than the ears or the feet. Uh, they all have to work together. So how are you uh, going to know that you succeeded at the end of the day tomorrow at DiTech? Well, I'll know that I succeeded when the web pages, like, they're all done and they look good and that our, that Verizon has used teamwork and that everyone's kind of tired. Right. <laughs> yeah, being tired, I, I have heard, is a common outcome of Enterprise Village, that kids are actually uh, a, a little bit surprised uh, at the end of the day of, of what goes into actually earning money. Do you think you're going to have a better appreciation for, for what your parents do for you? Um, probably. <laughs> well, I hope so, because... Uh, uh, that that's one of the things I think is really good about this program is it helps you understand that uh, you know the money money doesn't just appear when you walk up to a, an ATM machine. Somebody actually has to uh, put together products and services to make that happen. So, Kendall, um, what do you think is going to be the most important part of your job tomorrow? Um, probably figuring out how to operate the computer. Okay. Well, you you have computer classes there at Cambridge, right? So do you think that's going to help you at least uh, not be so intimidated by the computer tomorrow? Yes. Okay. Well, I will make sure to come over and visit you tomorrow because I am a computer whiz. Okay, and I'm a graphics whiz. So uh, maybe, maybe I can peek over your shoulder and see how you're doing. All right. Well, let's go on and hear from Joshua. Joshua, what's your job tomorrow? My job is a teller at Bank of America. Oh, great. So you're going to be a pivotal person tomorrow. Everybody who needs money is going to have to come to you. Yep. So what are what are the other responsibilities other than the obvious of, of somebody uh, asks for money and, and you uh, make sure to get that? Are, are there other tasks that you've got in getting ready for the business day tomorrow? Um. Yes. Um. Well, we have to um, complete duties on a tally sheet, transfer checks into money, enter paychecks into the computer. Uh-huh. So people are going to bring their paychecks to you and they're going to cash them? Yeah. Okay. And we, and, mm-hmm. and we um, if they give us a check, we will put their checks into their savings account. Oh, well, that's a really good thing. Are they teaching you about how important it is to save money when you make money? Yes, they are. What What else should you be doing with your money? We should be, um, I think we should be investing our money. Uh-huh. Um, we should be spending it correctly instead of just using it all at one time, having a budget. Right. And um, spending out on things we need and the budget using things for what we want. Because we need that we need like food, water, those things. And we also need, well, we don't really need, but we also have things that we want and we can use the money that we get to have things that we want. 
Got it, got it. And have they been teaching you a little bit about giving to people who don't have as much as you have? Um, yes. Okay, well, that's a really important part. And, you know, it, it's interesting, Joshua, because the, the guy that I just interviewed on my first show was talking about how, uh, as an adult, he had worked really, really hard for a really long time, but he had used credit cards the whole time, and he owed $20,000 on his credit cards. And in order to, to get free uh, and to be able to really be able to do what he wanted to, he had to pay that credit card debt off. So I hope you guys have also learned a little bit about how uh, how credit is, is something that you have to be very, very careful of. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, what were the qualifications that you think Mr. Wilson saw in you? Are you a really good math student? Um, I'm not the best in the class, but I think I do pretty good in math. Okay, do you like it? Yes, I do like it. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to hear that. So what else do you think Mr. Wilson saw in you that, that when he was trying to decide who the perfect person was for the teller job, why he picked Joshua? Well, I think he picked me because um, one of the reasons is because Bank of America was one of my choices on our sheet, uh-huh. our out sheet, and um, I just think um, – I would do a good job doing that, and that's pretty much it. I think he would do. I think he saw that I would do a good job as Bank of America as a teller. Cool. Well, who else is part of your team, Joshua? Um, we have a manager, a bookkeeper, three tellers, um, one file clerk, and two savings officers. Great, great. And so, what do you think is going to be the most important part of your job tomorrow? Well, I think the most important part of my job is transferring checks into money because you you don't really want to use checks for everything. Right. Right. And and so banks are are, are a little bit different than some of the other businesses there. Um how how will you know that your team succeeded tomorrow? I will know one of the reasons is that we had fun. Um the other reason is that we made a good profit doing our job and working together. And how does a bank make a profit? Do you know that? Yes, we make a profit by when a person um, and puts their money into our bank and another person needs money, so we've loaned them money. But then when they pay it back, they have to pay a little bit more than they loaned. So right. we can, a bit of money can be a profit to us. Great, great. And, uh, you know, we know that banks are pretty profitable because I don't know if you've noticed, Joshua, and I mentioned this when I talked to your class a couple of weeks ago, but in every city in the United States, do you know what the tallest buildings are? Banks and and financial institutions. And so that's no uh, no mistake that that happens because the banks actually have, have uh, traditionally done a pretty good job of being profitable. Well, Joshua, I am excited about coming and visiting you at the Bank of America tomorrow, and I am excited to hear from all of you next Thursday uh, what you guys were surprised about and uh, just to hear about your experience. So uh, I know you guys need to go and blow off a little steam on uh, in recess, so I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to hang on to Mr. Wilson for another 10 minutes and talk to him. Thank you. Oh, thank you, guys. I'm I'm really looking forward to being with you tomorrow. Take care.
All right, Mr. Wilson. So, you know, you talked a little bit about the preparation that you did with the kids. Um, what, what do you think about the workbook uh, that the folks at Enterprise Village have put together? Oh, I think the workbook is uh, pretty good. Um, it takes the units that we're learning <clears throat> that I was telling you about, you know, the economic terms and uh, teamwork and ethics and business decisions, and it gives the children a fun and easy workbook page to help them relate it to themselves. I think the workbook does a great job of helping the children relate these concepts to their own lives and the point that they're at right now. So have have they all completed the workbooks, or is there some portion of it that gets completed after you get back? The first nine units of the workbook we do before Enterprise Village, and the last two we use as a debriefing. Um, once we come back, so we'll be we go to Enterprise Village tomorrow, and next week on Monday we'll start debriefing and finding out what the kids thought. Uh, they actually teach the PDSA cycle of the workbook: plan, do, study, and act upon your studies. So we're actually going to perform the PDSA cycle on our Enterprise Village experience. Oh well, that's very very cool. So what do you, what do you think the kids are expecting tomorrow? I mean, do do you think that they know how hard it's going to really be? I think you know the kids talk. Uh, they knew about Enterprise Village before they got to fifth grade, so they talked to the children that won last year, and I think they have a pretty realistic idea. Some of them are anxious, some of them are eager. I think it kind of spans. Uh, both ends of the spectrum. You have some that think it's just going to be all fun and games, um, and then you have others that are really taking their position seriously and are a little anxious about it. But overall, once they, you know, get there and they get into the job, they'll be just fine and they'll have a great time. Now, I know you've had some discussions with the folks over at Enterprise Village. Um, do they actually engineer in some challenges, or do they just let things go the normal cycle, which you know generally produces challenges in and of itself? They just let the children work and let the challenges come and become solved naturally, uh, which I think is one of the best things about Enterprise Village. And I've tried to create a little bit of that atmosphere in the classroom as we're preparing. We spent the last few days working in their business groups. And at first, you know, all the children wanted to come to me with their questions, and then I started to direct them to their managers. You know, I told them, talk to your manager first, give him or her the opportunity to make the decision, and then if that doesn't work, then they can come talk to me. So <clears throat> it's more of a natural uh, approach to problems and problem-solving. Well, that's going to be really interesting. And again, I, as I was asking the question, I actually thought about it. And you know what? You don't have to engineer in challenges. They're going to happen all by themselves with computers not necessarily working the way they need to. And you know, I think the interesting thing about Enterprise Village is, is that they're, they have really thought through this whole cycle of, of you can't start the business day uh, in some of these businesses until you've gone and applied for the money to pay for payroll and to buy the supplies and and, uh, you know, so the kids getting to see that, uh, you know, everything just isn't put there on a platter for them, that, that there is uh, an action that causes the reaction. Um, what, what have you been able to do on the teamwork front? I know you're really big. Uh, you know, you use not only the term teamwork, but, but also the whole business ethics. 
Um, have you talked about the things that go wrong in a team? And, and I know we spoke about that a little bit when I was there speaking to the class ne- uh, last Wednesday. Well, actually, I have had some, you know, just meetings with the managers and started talk, talking to them about, you know, how they felt so far. And they've already experienced some teamwork issues. And um, they're starting to learn that, you know, sometimes you can't please everyone. And there's going to be some people on their team that, um, you know, they provide challenges in themselves because for one reason or another they're not happy with the decision that they've made. Um, you know, so we've taught them about that. <clears throat> but one of the main things that is emphasized at Enterprise Village that you touched on earlier is that we've talked about how every position is necessary for the success of the business. So that doesn't make any one position more important than another. It just means that one position might have more responsibilities than another position. Um, but it's kind of like a bicycle. You know, uh, if you don't have tires, you're not going anywhere. If you don't have the pedals, you're not going anywhere. Exactly. If you don't have handlebars, you have no direction in where you might end up going. So all those things put together will lead you on the, uh, you know, road to success. Exactly. That You know, that's a really perfect analogy, uh, Mr. Wilson. And I, I know in talking to my own daughter, Kira, who, who is a part of uh, your class and who is going to Enterprise Village tomorrow, when I read her application, she uh, mentioned that she was really skilled at working out conflicts. And so I have held her accountable to that. Every time uh, she and her brother haven't quite seen eye to eye on something, I said, you know, you, you really need to be authentic to what you said uh, you were good at, and I'm, I'm going to hold you accountable to go, uh, you know, and work things out in that skilled way, uh, you know, that you said. So um, I am really looking forward to seeing how the kids interact tomorrow, uh, how they react to challenges, and uh, I'm really hoping to see uh, the kind of teamwork that I know that those kids are capable of. And, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to hear what they say next Thursday uh, about what they learned. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing that debriefing next week. Yeah, we are looking forward to a great day, and it's always uh, interesting to have the response because they will come up to you during the course of the day and say, I didn't know it was going to be like this or that, or I didn't know (laughs) how much fun. Um, and it's just really good. It's going to be a lot of energy when you come back, and the kids are going to talk to you about, you know, after the experience part of Enterprise Village. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's that's what I'm looking forward to uh, observing again, uh, you know, during the day tomorrow, seeing seeing what kind of challenges come up. Now, what would you say to uh, other schools and to other teachers who are considering incorporating uh, this kind of thing into their curriculum? I would tell them to definitely do it if they can find the time in their schedule. If they can't find the time in their schedule, consider not doing something else to provide time in their schedule. Um, you know, and right now, the state of our nation's economy is a perfect time to teach the children about um, not just spending money, but, um, you know, business and personal management of finances. And, you know, you can see the effects of some mismanagement in our economy right now. So it's kind of the perfect backdrop for us to be talking about this type of thing and to take uh, a greater appreciation of what we have available for us here in the United States of America with the idea of the free enterprise system. We we had a good discussion in class 
about how our system is so very different than other systems across the world. Right, right. Well, we can talk a little bit more about that next Thursday. Uh, I need to bring this to a close. But, uh, Mr. Wilson, I am just so, so happy that uh, just as a parent, I'm happy that my daughter has a teacher uh, like you and a school like Cambridge that uh, looks beyond the obvious skills of, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic and and sees that there are some real-world challenges that these kids are going to have to face that require teamwork and business ethics and and uh, some of the skills that they're going to learn tomorrow, many of them as business owners. So I just applaud you, and I'm just uh, grateful to know you and looking forward to tomorrow. Oh, thank you very much. We're glad to be uh, a teammate of yours, and um, we're looking forward to tomorrow as well. Well, terrific. Well, uh, I will see you tomorrow, and have a great day. I will send you the, the link so that the rest of the classroom can listen to the interviews later. All right. Sounds great. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Well, this has been an amazing morning, and as always, the shows end up just hanging together perfectly because what we started uh, in talking to Jared about this morning, about his journey uh, in his life and the things that he did to try to be successful, thinking he could look to others uh, to find the answers and really finding out he had to find them within himself, And then just listening uh, to the kids at Cambridge Christian who are going to Enterprise Village tomorrow to learn uh, about doing business in the real life, we're now going to turn a little bit different tact. And uh, our next guest, actually our next guests, are are going to talk about uh, some other things that are real life and and kind of the the side of, of real life that we don't all like to look at, and that is the whole subject of homelessness. Leah, good morning. Hello. Do we How are have you? Briar Rose on the phone as well? Uh, Briar isn't here yet. She was okay. held back at school. No so worries. I've asked, we will uh, get started with you. Right, right. And hopefully they'll call in. Okay, so, that'll be great. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to talk with you. Well, you know, you and I had spoken uh, some time ago, and I was just so intrigued, not just by Briar Rose's story, by, but by just the entire uh, work that you are doing with Up With Women. Why don't you just give us a little snapshot of your background and what got you to the place where, where you became passionate about, in particular, homeless women and their families? Right. Well, uh, almost 20 years ago, in fact, during the last major recession, I had become homeless myself. I had um, been living in an abusive household, and it had gotten uh, so severe that uh, my one of my relatives had actually threatened to kill me. And so I needed to get out. I didn't even know that shelters existed at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, thanks to uh, a uh, an abuse help hotline, I was able to get placement into a shelter. And uh, from there, I had made the promise to myself that when uh, that I would become successful and I would come back and be a role model for other women. Because, you know, it's, it's so important. When you come into a shelter, you're really broken down, especially when you come out of abuse and you've been told over and over and over again that you are worthless. Uh, it's very easy to believe that you're not entitled to the life that others can lead. And I'm... I didn't know anybody else who had gotten out of homelessness and made a life for themselves, so I had to be that person. And what ended up happening was uh, a church across the street 
from my home uh, a few years back had decided uh, that they were going to open up a one night a week uh, homeless shelter. And my neighbors, this is a fairly affluent neighborhood and right by the beach, uh, had actually retaliated against it. And they were unleashing all sorts of prejudice, saying, are, you know, uh, are we going to have syringes and, and condoms on our beautiful beaches and our mothers uh, going to be endangered? And so I had to finally stand up. And when I did and told my neighbors that I had lived in a shelter, and if it wasn't for that shelter, I don't know if I'd be alive today, one of them spoke up and said, well, thank you for sharing, Leah, but with all due respect, you're an anomaly. And he launched right back into his tirade about how they're going to you know, break into our homes and all this stuff. And that's when I realized that I alone couldn't change people's minds, that we needed to have a group of people. And it's unprecedented. It's never been done before where a group of women have come together to all stand together and say, we were all homeless, and look where we are now. Now we have 15 women. Some of them are businesswomen. Some have uh, made millions. Uh, we have a world champion athlete, a successful politician. And now we even have child advocates. It turns out that our adult advocates, uh, their children want to get engaged as well, which is outstanding to me. So uh, the, the guest that I hope that we'll have on today, Briar, <laughs> Uh, was uh, she had joined us at the age of eight. So it's almost like she had come out of the womb as an activist. She wanted to change things for children and women uh, who are homeless today. And it's just been incredible. It's absolutely been incredible to see these people courageously sharing their stories. You know, Briar will talk about how you know, there's always a risk that she can be teased in the classroom, etc., uh, by sharing her story, but she doesn't care. She really right. doesn't care. She wants, she, you know, as she says, everyone should have a good life like I do. And uh, that's what drives us all. Now, Leah, I know you've, you've, got, a, you've got a day job too, right? So mm-hmm. um, you, you have uh, come from that background, turned yourself into a, a very successful businesswoman. You have a, a bit of a signature in that you, you ride a, a pink motorcycle. How did that come about? <laughs> Pink BMW motorcycle. Well, it's funny because, you know, um, there were two promises that I made. So the first one was that I would uh, I would become successful and become a role model. The second one was really important, uh, and it was that I would dream as big as I could and I would fulfill every dream. And to today I have fulfilled absolutely every dream that I've ever had. And riding a motorcycle was one of them. It, I, I had it painted pink because I wanted everyone to know that this big, beautiful beast was actually a woman's bike. Right. Uh, but I also swim with sharks. I occasionally fly helicopters. My very first dream coming out of the shelter was to play the harp. You know, and what a crazy dream to have. I mean, it was, it's such an elitist instrument. The, the cheapest pedal harp is $30,000. Wow. But I had decided when I was living on a dollar a day that I wanted to play the harp. I ended up uh, building my own company to be able to afford the lessons. And uh, I also ended up with a partial scholarship for the harp. And now to this day, I have three harps in my house and I still play it. It's been a lifelong love affair. So it's been oh, wonderful. That is so. So cool. So while we're uh, waiting to see if Briar is going to be able to join us, um, why mm-hmm. don't you tell me a little bit about some of the other women? You you alluded to it as you were going through and, and you know enumerating the the different things that they have done. Can can you give us a snapshot of a couple of your real success stories? 
Right, right. So um, to now in in fulfilling this promise, basically what I had done is I had started my own charitable foundation. So Up With Women is a North American foundation that's dedicated to helping women and children, homeless women and children, to rebuild their lives. So both and in so, Canada and in the U.S. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so one of the major things that we do, aside from being a funder of, uh, of programs that uh, assist in housing safety and the economic empowerment of women, we also work very hard at building awareness, both for the women today who are homeless and the children today who are homeless and need inspiration, but also for the general public who need to see the human face. So this is why the most important part is our 15 adult advocates, our two child advocates. Uh, You know, we're the ones that show that what's possible when no one is left behind. So to give you an example, uh, one of the women, um, uh, Irene Mabry Moses, was incredible. Her husband had come back from the Vietnam War addicted to drugs. And as a result, they had lost their home, they had lost their car, uh, you know, she was fearing for the safety of her children because, you know, there were all these drug addicts that kept coming in and out and drug dealers that were coming in and out of their uh, now apartment after they had lost everything. And uh, and she had to get away from that to save her kids. So she ended up, uh, she had uh, only a quarter in her pocket. She had uh, two dimes and a nickel, essentially. And uh, she had gone to the station in uh, in Washington, D.C., the train station, and didn't want to use her change, so she called zero because she, you know, she didn't know if she would need that change later. Right. And she asked the operator. She said, "You know, I don't have a home. You know, we we just left for the safety of my children. I have nowhere to go. Can you help me?" And they sent her and her two children to my sister's place, a uh, women's shelter in D.C. And while she was there, she. Um, uh, as she says, she found God. She she became extremely religious uh, and and very dedicated. She just kept praying and saying, you know, if you can if you can get me out of this, I promise I will serve people for the rest of my life. Right. I will help others get out. And she ended up uh, staying about six months. Uh, ended up able. She was a working homeless, so she had a job and was living in the shelter. Saved up enough money to be able to get uh, a place for the family to live in. And then she ended up finding real estate, uh, and she became a real estate agent, became the top-selling agent out of 26. And then, you know, and her focus has been entirely on helping the poor and the uneducated and the homeless to find homes to buy, and that's partially also in finding safe credit solutions, etc. So she's very, very thorough in her approach. And yet she has become, by focusing on this very, very poor population, uh, one of the most successful real estate agents in her district. Wow. So now, and it, you know, I'll tell you, it was a beautiful full circle. Last year, we went together to the shelter that she had lived in 25 years ago, and it was the first time she had gone to visit. We were really fortunate. They hadn't uh, renovated yet. They were about to tear down the place to renovate to get a bigger place. She actually got to see her own room again. She cried her oh, eyes out. Wow. But she talked to the women there, and it was amazing because one of the women, uh, uh, her name is Octavia, she spoke up at the end of it and she said, you know, where you were is where I am today and I believe now that I can make a life for myself and my daughter 
And ever since then, they've had this beautiful mentoring relationship, and Octavia is now in permanent housing. You know, and we're seeing that cycle go on. Oh, how cool. And speaking of cycles, it looks like we have been joined uh, by Briar Rose. So let me get her on the air, and we can hear a bit of her story. Wonderful. Good morning. Hi. Briar? Yeah. (laughs) How are you this morning? Good. Have you been at school already today? Yeah. I got a late. I got a late. I had track and field and they forgot to tell me. Oh, that's okay. You know, this actually worked out perfectly because Leah was telling me a little bit about some of the other people that she helped. So, Leah, why don't I just let you uh, help Briar through telling her story, and I think that will be the best way to do this this morning. Right, right. So, Briar, why don't you... um uh, you know, to, to quickly introduce Briar, uh, Briar is now 10 years old. She uh, was our very first child advocate and became a child advocate at the age of eight. And one of the things that we do with our child advocates is we get them to come up with a community action project, some creative way in which they can give back to their community. And Briar came up with a really interesting and creative uh, solution. And Briar, why don't you tell everybody about what you did? Well, I... My mom started telling me about us living in the shelter, and I said, um, why don't we give back some money? And I love to make bracelets. So I said, we'll make, why don't we um, make bracelets to g- and give the money to the Native Women's Shelter? So we started that in about August and stopped at around March. Yeah, this last month. And yeah, t- well, why don't you and, tell and everyone how much, how much you raised? I raised $2,000 for the Native Women's Shelter. Wow. And who did you sell to, Briar? I sold it to teachers. I sold it to neighbors and people in my neighborhood. I sold it to stores. I yeah, she was... Everybody. Yeah, she was really amazing, actually, because we would go, um, I, I escorted her to go door-to-door uh, at the stores to sell to storekeepers. Right. And, uh, you know, that's a very scary thing for a nine-year-old girl <laughs> to do. But Briar was just so amazing. She was getting so into the hang of it. She was like, oh, that one looks great. It, it goes well with your hair. <laughs> right, Briar? I, I actually <laughs> loved when you, you actually sold them to the politicians who recognized your efforts. And uh, it was just fun to watch the men uh, all with their bracelets on and, and holding those up in a picture with you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know that's not all that she's done as well. One of the one of the biggest things uh, and the very first thing that she that Briar really did was she um up here we had um a uh, a major the, the government was doing a major poverty reduction uh recommendation assessment and they were talking to over a thousand uh people um to get recommendations on how to do it. Briar was one of only two children to present her own poverty reduction recommendations to the government. And, uh, and you know, why don't you talk a bit about that, Briar? Were you scared? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I was totally nervous and scared. But it was also a little bit exciting. Yeah. And now, you I wrote left. your own speech. Yeah, and I wrote my own speech to Deb Matthews. And 
with my friend Florencia. We both um, lived in a shelter. Um, me and her were, when we first met each other, we were, like, best friends. So then, um, in the beginning, I was really scared. I'd hold my mom's hand, and I she'd feel me shaking. It was really funny, she said. But then when you gave your speech, you told your story. And then what did you, what were your recommendations? Um, my recommendations was that, um, there would, um, there would have to be safe, affordable housing and, um, for homeless people not to dig in the garbage, for them to have clean water, warm clothes to be warm in, and for them to not, for women not to be abused and for children not to be abused. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that just boil it down? (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes we do have to think with the mind of a child because they they do see things as, as, uh, you know, fairly simple solutions. And uh, it takes adults, I think, to embrace that that mentality. And, Briar, you know, I've I've got a daughter who just turned 11, so uh, very, very, very similar you know, age-wise to you and in, in school. What what grade are you in, Briar? I'm in grade four. Okay, well, great. Your birth, birthday must be just a little bit behind hers because she's in, in the fifth grade. But my daughter has a heart for giving also, and uh, she, she raised uh, money when um, the hurricanes went through New Orleans and raised money for, for the people there. And she's been looking for different ways that she can help. So I'm going to be talking to Leah about how perhaps we can help some of the, the homeless families here in Tampa um, and uh, use you as a, a model for other, other little girls your age who would also like to help. So I'm yeah. very, very proud of you, Briar. And did the, did the kids uh, support you, or do you get teased a little bit? Um, no, I don't get teased. I was first scared of that, and then kids came out to be like, wow, that's a great story. And so kids said, um, like some kids at my school bought one, and they they got to pick their own. Everybody loved them. And you've become somewhat of a leader in your school, eh? Yep. <laughs> well, Briar, can I buy a bracelet from you? Yes, sure. I would um, love that. Um, when Leah next time comes over, um, I'll I pick one up and I'll mail it to you. That would be great. That would be Florida great. Tick. I would love to do that. Now, Chick, you're in Florida, right? I am. I'm in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> so we have sunshine and palm trees, and uh, I get to sit and look out at the water and the boats all day. <laughs> And and I'll make one for your daughter. Oh, that would be so sweet. I will tell uh, Leah about our favorite colors, and maybe you can do that, because I have a very unusual daughter that does not like pink. <laughs> Her name is Kira, and I am yeah. sure that she will uh, love to hear your story. I'm going to have her listen to it uh, when she gets home from school today. That will be great. Yeah, and in fact, just right before this show, I was interviewing her teacher and and three other kids in her class that are learning how to run their own business. And uh, they're going to a place called Enterprise Village here in in the Tampa area tomorrow to learn how to be business people. 
So uh, are, are you still uh, making your bracelets and, and uh, selling them and continuing that, or are you uh, shifting mm-hmm. your attention to other things? Well, um, I stopped in March, and I'm starting, I'm thinking about, I'm, I might do something more for the Native Women's Shelter or for Up With Women. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, we're just figuring that out. It was a, it was a pretty exhausting run <laughs> to be right. uh, raising $2,000, especially selling bracelets. So, uh, sure. yeah, we're looking forward to the next project. Well, cool. You know, my my daughter actually has has wanted to repeat the same thing she did, uh, you know, four years ago. For and she was able to raise. Uh, and you know, I don't want to minimize what Briar has done at all, but uh, we she had a lot of help. But we just did a, a, a lemonade stand in our neighborhood. And again, on the surface, you know, there's only so much you can make selling lemonade and cookies. But because of the enormity of the problem. Uh, in uh, New Orleans and the visibility of it, we were able to raise $2,200, uh, you know, in, in like a four-hour period. Um, but that was uh, with Mommy and Daddy and, and our company matching, uh, you know, what, what she raised. So Kira, you know, somehow has the belief that she can op- open a, a lemonade stand again and raise that same amount of money in four hours. And uh, I, I'm trying to help her understand that that, you know, absolutely is not the norm. And, you know, what Breyer has, has done uh, you know, is actually closer to the, to the picture of, of what you have to do of combining that that entrepreneurial talent of of you know taking whatever skill you have, whether it be making bracelets or uh, you know just donating your time and your talents to people. Um, and I'm just excited uh, to hear about the next phase and in, in what Briar is going to do, and uh, figuring out again how I can get uh, my my own uh, daughter and hopefully my son who is uh, just turned nine. Uh, involved in in giving of their their time and their talents and and also their treasures. Wonderful, so, wonderful. Briar, um, what what do you want to be remembered for, Briar? My you know my show is all about leaving something called a legacy, and I I know that isn't a word that that a lot of people know, but it, it really is is what are people going to say about Briar twenty years from now? Have you ever thought about that? What what you want to be known for? Um. Well, when I grow up, I want to be a singer, dancer, and actor and donate oh, cool. um, $10 million to the Native Woman Shelter. Every oh, cool. And, Briar, do you know that when when you do that, and I, I, I firmly believe that you're going to be able to accomplish that, when you do that, you are going, going to change so many lives. And uh, when, when you give like that... Um, Things change, and, and it takes people who have that kind of vision, uh, not just to go out and make money to have all the things you can buy, but actually to make money to give is one of the best things to be remembered for. Very cool. Yep, thank you. All right. <laughs> well, I am uh, just very, very excited, uh, uh, again, to follow Briar's progress. And, uh, you know, Leah, I wanted to hear a little bit more about some of, of the other folks. Uh, Briar, do you need to get back to class? Well, I'm at home right now. I'm going to stay home for lunch. Oh, okay. And then I'll go to back. Okay. I have until well, 1230 because that's when lunch ends. Okay. Well, cool. Well, Briar, maybe you can tell me a little bit about some of the other child advocates. Have you guys all become friends? 
I have not met a water child advocate. Ah, okay. Yeah, but you can talk about Florencia. Yeah, I met I met one child um, advocate. Her name is Florencia, and um, Leah introduced well, Leah introduced it us um, at when she got her award, and my mom took me. And that's when I got my hair cut. You know, Brian, I'm not sure if you know Florencia's story. It's actually quite interesting. Um, uh, Florencia and her family came, uh, arrived in Buffalo. Pardon me? As refugees. Yes, exactly. As refugees. Florencia was two years old, so she doesn't remember living in a refugee shelter in Buffalo um, uh, back then. But uh, what had happened was that the family had, uh, you know, they're very proud people. They'd, within a year of arriving, they became independent and had started their own business and uh, were doing extremely well. But then uh, recently, the money ran dry. It was a very difficult time, and they ended up getting evicted. And when Florencia was 11 years old, she just turned 12 uh, this past March, she found herself and her family uprooted again and living in a shelter for a month. And so what she had done when she had talked to the government, giving her own uh, poverty reduction recommendations, she had talked about how difficult it is and, and what, a, um, what a painful experience it is to be a child coming home from school one day and discovering that you have to move and the, right. discovering that you're moving into this shelter that she said was, you know, dirty and, and horrible and, and uh, you know, she, she just cried every night. Uh, so she's become extremely dedicated to the cause as well. But it's beautiful because, you know, one of the things that Florencia talks about is how she had told a friend that she had lived in a shelter and she said her friend was really sad. But she said that when they came to Canada, they had to live in a shelter, and she made a lot of friends there. So it was really interesting because as adults, uh, when, we, when we advocate, we have a lot of disclosure. We have a lot of people that we wouldn't even imagine disclosed to us that they were once homeless. But we're even seeing this with children. And, you know, it's interesting also because, you know, here we have two girls, two young girls, who have bonded in this effort to help uh, homeless women and children today and to see them actually really work to, to try and help their own peers is, uh, is quite incredible. It's quite wow. incredible. And Leah, mm-hmm. can you share some of the statistics on homelessness with us? Because, yeah. You know, I know when I first started looking at this, I, I was really astounded. Yeah, and it's it's really important to know, uh, you know, the most difficult part is is really understanding the the story of women. Uh, you know, 600,000 families are homeless every year in America, and 1.3 million children are homeless every year. Uh one in 5 women lives in poverty. And so women are actually most vulnerable to being uprooted. The challenge is that we don't really see the women uh, if a woman is living on the street, she is actually hiding. You won't see a woman sleeping on the street because she has to hide to be safe. Uh, but also, women are more likely to live in inhospitable conditions just to keep their kids under a roof so they can, uh, you know, we, we can find them living in a garage, in a storage uh, area, um, 
you know, in someone's basement, in overcrowded conditions. So there's a variety of different types of homelessness that need to be considered. It's not just about shelters and about living on the street. It's also about, you know, all of the invisible homeless who are struggling to try and keep their families safe. So it's a huge issue. But what we hope to do is, by sharing our stories, we show unequivocally that homelessness is not a dead end and that success belongs to everybody. So this is why it has been so important for us to gather as many advocates as possible who can all step forward and say, I was homeless and look where I am now. You can get here. So it's been incredible. Well, you know, it, it's really, really heartwarming to hear uh, that there there is help and there is a future. And I know... Uh, and, and hopefully I speak for, for other people who are listening to the show today. Um, you know, it, it's very, very obvious to see how a woman who has come from a homeless uh, background, whether it was for a day, a week, a month, or, or years, and, and who has come out of that, and, and how they would be received in the homeless shelter. How about those of us who don't have that background? How can we posture our volunteerism to that community and 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 be accepted and be as as valid in telling that same hope story. Well, if there's if there's one thing that I can encourage uh everyone to do is to really share more of themselves because you know maybe you haven't experienced something as extreme as homelessness, but we've all overcome something. And within that is the incredible capability to smooth the path of someone behind us. So, you know, in our society that seeks perfection, where we always have to show ourselves as strong, I would encourage people to really start sharing their more challenging moments and share them with other people so that other people can have perhaps some guidance along those lines. But, you know, when it comes to specifically helping the homeless, you know, our stories are there for you to be able to tell anyone. And so I'd encourage anyone to come onto our website, up to upwithwomen.com, and look at the stories and learn about the women. There are so many outstanding stories out there, and the more we can disseminate those stories, the less discrimination we will have, the less isolation we will have, the less suffering for all we will have, uh, and the more women will believe that they can have the life that they wish for as well. You know, I go into the shelter, and every time we go and speak in a shelter, you see the women, and you look in their eyes, and they've, it's, it's like they've given up right. uh, because they don't have hope. But then as we start telling the stories, and sometimes it takes ten stories to get through to them, you know, they finally start to believe, okay, maybe I can change my life. Maybe there is hope for me. And then you start to see, it's amazing, sometimes that belief, that faith, is all that's really necessary to be uh, able to make the changes. That is a perfect way to bring our time to an end, Leah. And and as I had mentioned to you earlier, I would like to have some of your other uh, women uh, that are your success stories on. And, and Briar, thank you so much, and you have a great day. And Leah, you and I will be talking soon. Uh, keep on Lovely. doing that. Keep on leaving that legacy, both of you. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay, great.
All right. Well, normally at this point in the show, uh, I am joined by my co-host, Chris Bradshaw. Today, she was not able to join me, so you get to hear uh, my monologue for the next 30 minutes, but hopefully you will find it useful. I have actually had an amazing week, and uh, I actually canceled the show on Tuesday. I mean, one of the things about doing a show about leaving a legacy and about having values that make a difference and, and that do give people hope is that you have to live uh, you know, consistent with that. And on Tuesday, I had the opportunity to participate in a program here in Tampa called LifeWork Leadership. And I was invited as a guest. It's actually a year-long program. And uh, uh, two weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Ken Wybeck, who is the director of the Tampa LifeWork Leadership Organization. So if you uh, missed that show, you can go back uh, and hear that uh, through our on-demand program on www.blogtalkradio.com slash solutions live. And uh, what LifeWork Leadership does is it puts leaders through a, a program, and I, I guess it ends up being about a 10-month program of getting together monthly uh, to hear special speakers. And again, I was invited to uh, what was their last meeting together before they graduate. And there were three just unbelievable Speakers. And, you know, I'm always amazed. Uh, I live here in Tampa, Florida. I have had a consulting business for the last 13 years and have been part of the travel industry for 30 years. And, you know, the travel industry is a pretty insular uh, business. And because of the nature of my consulting, uh, I had never done business in Tampa, Florida. And about four months ago, I got invited uh, by one of my dear friends, Pam Winchester, to be part of an organization here in Tampa called Real um, Oh, now I'm forgetting. How about that? Um, Real estate lives, excuse me. And as I mentioned, you know, I mean, I've been in the travel industry, haven't had anything to do with real estate. But uh, if you know anything about the Tampa, Florida area or Florida in general, uh, the two primary ways that people make money uh, in this region is through real estate uh, and all of the uh, ancillary businesses that support the real estate community, both in commercial and residential real estate and also the travel business. And Real Estate Lives started in December and uh, was an organization that, that was raised up to help uh, local people who had lost their jobs uh, due to the downturn in the real estate industry. And I have heard numbers as high as 22% uh, of Tampa's economy has been impacted by the financial crisis and the mortgage uh, banking crisis. So uh, long story short, I got involved with that organization, and it was through PAM uh, and some of the other uh, leaders, Ron Weaver um, and Steve Ernst, uh, in that organization that I was exposed to the LifeWork Leadership opportunity. And actually, uh, even funnier than that is uh, I interviewed uh, uh, a gentleman a, a few months ago who is the author of a book called On Purpose Business. And Kevin uh, McCarthy, who I had interviewed, uh, was actually the first one uh, to introduce me to LifeWork Leadership. And so I show up on Tuesday morning here in Tampa, and the very first speaker is a woman named Maureen Dunkel. And I kept looking at her picture, and, and she is on the board of trustees of Tampa University, and I kept thinking, how do I know this woman? And as it turns out, her publicist had contacted me a couple of months ago to be on um, – I do a call every Friday – uh, with a group called the Executive Girlfriends Group, and I have special speakers who, who talk about things that are inspirational. 
And uh, Maureen's story is that, uh, well, she has a very long story that, that has to do with a, you know, a fairly sordid childhood of, of being uh, also living in poverty and, and having uh, to take a look at how to get herself out of a bad situation. And, and how she started her talk was uh, talking about how she was climbing the right wall but with the wrong ladder. And, you know, she had a lifetime of fighting really against herself. And so as Maureen is talking and as I start reading the background on her, I, I realize it's the same person who had been recommended to me. Um, and and she had actually gotten to a point in her life where she made a lot of money through the sale of a company that she had stock in, a company that is now called K-Force here in Tampa. And she had gone off and bought the collection of dresses from Princess Diana, I guess about four or five months before Princess Diana died. And and that's the story I had remembered, and that, that actually was part of her story that she told on Tuesday, but it wasn't the whole story. But I thought, how funny that I'm sitting in, in this room with people, and I'm connected in so many different ways to this organization. And here's Maureen, whose publicist reached out to me to be on uh, the Executive Girlfriends Group call, and also uh, I had talked to her about being on Solutions Live, and, and we're still going to do that. But at any rate, what I didn't know about Maureen was that uh, she is a very, very strong believer and uh, not only a believer uh, in God, but, but in the person of Jesus Christ in her life. And she talked about that whole thing about right, right wall, wrong ladder. She was uh, climbing, but uh, throughout her story, she had a very, very confused image of God. And, and she described that as leading to a really cold heart and being incredibly guarded and having these layers of protection and that while she ended up achieving so many things, particularly in her 20s and in her early uh, 30s, that that achievement was actually shame-based. And, and I thought, wow, what? You know, I'd never heard anybody talk about that. And, and she talked about how uh, she took all of the elements of her life, which ended up being, you know, like all of this broken glass. And out of that, she's, she's made this incredible mosaic. And... You know, she she had uh, just a, a number of different breakthroughs uh, in her life, but there there was one point where uh, she found herself, uh, of all places, in Barbados, which, if you haven't been there, is an amazing place. We've had uh, the Barbados Tourism Authority as a, a sponsor of Solutions Live uh, over the last few months, uh, for which we are grateful. But uh, when Maureen was sitting in her hotel room uh, in in this gorgeous uh, island community. Uh, she actually just had a, a very amazing personal experience where, uh, you know, she saw this this heart and 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 the heart of of God, uh, you know, very much like a Valentine of, uh, you know, you need to be mine. And you know, she knew about God and and uh, you know she knew the story of the gospel, but uh, you know she had never really uh, taken that into her life. And and even at that juncture, you know, she really felt that she, uh, you know, had that personal experience, but she still didn't, uh, you know, turn her life around. And, um, you know, as she grew in stature and, and uh, you know, financially, she was incredibly blessed. At one point in time, somebody asked her, you know, what her legacy was going to be and how did she really want to be remembered? And uh, it, it was interesting that, that uh, you know, she discovered at that point that this whole time horizon that she had been living on 
you know, which had been filled with all of this broken glass, uh, you know, had had actually culminated in, in some really, really incredible experiences. And if you heard uh, my previous interview with uh, uh, with Jared, we were talking about this timeline of your life and and how the the bad things, the broken glass things, end up being like a dark dot on that time horizon, and and which which is your life, but that always right around the corner is this diamond and and what it took for her is is this whole um transformation of of just the head knowledge of what god had done in her life really to to switch to uh a a place where he could actually be uh lord of her life and uh at my discussion table which is kind of how life work leadership works is you have have table discussions about what's going on and and in this case study uh of Maureen's life uh they asked us you know what we what we thought about that and how would we tell her uh about what decisions to make and um one of the people at my table brought up a quote by uh, a gentleman named Erwin McManus who said you know do you really want to end up being great which you do for others or do you want to be famous what you do for yourself and you know i think she had a an epiphany that she had uh, lived her life to that point really uh, to be famous for uh you know having the foresight to buy the diana dresses and and to set up a, a charity where she was uh, going to be showing those dresses around and then hopefully she had hoped that that investment would uh, really come back in spades when you know eventually uh, you know Diana and Charles's sons uh, would uh, ascend to the throne, and uh, but what she really realized is is that her success uh, was really going to come in finding her her significance, and uh, she learned through uh, you know looking at Diana's life, Princess Diana's life, and her heartbreak, and and how that painful story was actually used in the end to help others. And, um, you know, so asking yourself, uh, you know, through whatever it is you're doing in your life, what, what's your motive? And uh, at the end of the day, uh, Maureen realized she had to climb from her own ladder, uh, which was scaling the right wall of, of uh, you know, living her life and leaving a legacy, but realizing that she had to go from her ladder uh, to his ladder. And uh, it was just really amazing uh you know just the story she told and uh she has uh since created uh a a uh new cartoon character um who is um helping little girls really understand their significance and uh really bringing uh Jesus's love into little girls hearts and so that they can understand that uh he's the lover of their soul and and being able to turn whatever ashes they've had in their life uh, similar to the story we just heard from uh, from Brian, um, I'm sorry, from Briar, uh, at, at how you can take that ashes into beauty and being uh, your authentic self. The next speaker that we had uh, is someone that is is uh, very well known in the business community, uh, Wayne Heisinga Jr. And uh, many of you may be more familiar with uh, uh, Wayne's father. And he started out uh, talking about the legacy that his father. Uh, laid out for him, and, and for those of you who don't know uh, Wayne Sr., he was the founder of Waste Management, started out, uh, you know, selling his pickup truck, uh, you know, to buy an engagement ring for his wife and ended up, you know, financing uh, a truck that he could use to go around and collect garbage and became one of, uh, obviously, the largest uh, company uh, in the waste management arena and then ended up selling waste management, buying Blockbuster, and then ended up doing uh, you know, one of the largest uh, sales uh, ever uh, for $8 billion of uh, Blockbuster later. 
But, you know, the fact of the matter was that uh, his parents were divorced when he was five, and, um, you know, Wayne Huizenga Jr. talked about following in his dad's uh, footsteps and thinking that he was going to, uh, you know, be a part of waste management. And actually, uh, when he was in college, his dad came and visited him and and told him that he was selling waste management. And Wayne Jr. Uh, went through this uh, place where he actually lost his identity. And, you know, he had built his whole life toward, you know, walking in the legacy that his father had left for him. And, you know, he talked about this whole crisis of confidence in his own life. And, and of course, he had lived a very charmed life. Uh, you know, his father uh, was by any measure uh, incredibly wealthy and and so he had uh, you know been very very fortunate he married well to a, a woman uh, her name is Fonda who uh, had gone to Vanderbilt and, and was a, a had a just a charmed career at Procter and Gamble but you know at, at the whole end of this story is you know he came to that same place where he had to look at what legacy he was leaving and he said something that really hit me and again since we've had a lot of kids on the show this morning um, he said, you know, what are your kids seeing in how you're living? And boy, uh, you know, did that hit home with me. Uh, you know, I have been um, uh, a workaholic the, the bulk of my uh, adult life and uh, am, am re- really only now, after my kids are 9 and 11, having to transition in, into being a mom and, and finding a career that allows me to really invest uh, in Kira and Sergey, and uh, so his story just really resonated uh, to me at that point. And, and again, Wayne talked about the sale of Blockbuster, and then his dad went on uh, to invest in AutoNation and the extended stay uh, America, and, and also uh, the Miami Dolphins and, and the uh, stadium in Miami. And you know, he, it was funny because Wayne Jr. talked about living under the power and cachet of sharing the name of his father. And, you know, he he came back to this whole thing of, are you proud of who you are and what you're doing? And and how at the end of the day, he had to get to the place where he really uh, was not only grounded himself, but that he was providing uh, a platform for his kids to be grounded. And, and he, I believe that they have uh, four uh, children. And he talked about an experience with um, being invited to go on a submarine, and I, I don't uh, recall the specific uh, circumstances, but this is one of uh, Wayne Jr.'s turning points in his life. And he met a gentleman uh, named Captain uh, Brad Fleetwood McDonald, and, and I'm actually hoping to look him up and, and get him as a guest on, on my show, because it was through Captain Brad's uh, willingness to share his worldview, uh, which happens to be a Christian worldview, and he was used as an instrument in turning around Junior's life and, you know, telling him that the power that he had of living uh, under his dad's legacy and sharing in the power and cachet of his dad's name wasn't going to be enough uh, to let him leave a legacy. And, uh, you know, he realized that although he had been going to church for some time, he had never actually heard the gospel uh, and and uh, that he did have, in fact, a hole in his heart that couldn't be filled by, you know, fast boats and big houses and 
uh, all of the things uh, that were going on in his life. And uh, what Captain Brad ended up doing for him was really giving him an appetite for God that uh, uh, you know couldn't be uh, sated uh, in, until he actually knew him personally. So. You know, he realized uh, over the course of, of, and again, I don't remember whether it was weeks or months uh, or, or even years, but that he really needed to look at a different kind of legacy that he needed to leave behind. And uh, he also shared another uh, turning point story of, of uh, a gentleman who worked for him uh, in his home uh, doing service work. And uh, that this gentleman uh, who was from Brazil named Eduardo uh, actually had a dream uh, which featured Wayne. And, and uh, he laughed and, and talked about how he didn't actually want other men dreaming about him. But uh, as, as the way the story uh, unfolded, uh, Eduardo had, had actually had the dream four months previous to that uh, day that he finally shared it with Wayne Jr. But uh, God had told him to hold off and, and not share it. And, I, you know, I think uh, as God uh, in his infinite wisdom does is he knows when we're ready uh, to hear a particular message. And, uh, you know, when the when the student uh, is, is ready, uh, the teacher shows up. And, and surely uh, that is what happened that day with Eduardo. And, and he had Wayne pull out uh, two quarters out of his pocket. And... Uh, and he stood across the room and he said, uh, you know, Wayne, uh, imagine that I'm, I'm Jesus and I want you to hold those quarters up and hold your arms at, at full, fully extended and hold those quarters. And, and can you still see me? And he said, uh, you know, look past the quarters and, and see if you can still see me. And, uh, you know, Wayne did that and said, yes, absolutely, I can. And then uh, Eduardo had him pull the quarters up to his eyes and, in, you know, in the circles uh, to cover his eyes. And he said, okay, now what can you see? And, you know, he realized through that demonstration of, of the reenacting of the dream uh, that if he was focused on the money that he had been blessed with through uh, the legacy of his father, um, that he really wouldn't be able to see God uh, in his life. And, you know, Wayne has, has taken what happened that day, uh, taken that to heart, and he has uh, just done uh, amazing things. Uh, with his life and, and has reached out and uh, realized that his platform, at which he wasn't ready to accept, by the way, uh, you know, God told him that he was going to be used uh, to reach others uh, for Jesus and uh, people in the business world who wouldn't normally get a chance uh, to hear the message uh, of, of God's grace and, and God's love and that we can't earn uh, you know what he has for us, and so it was just amazing uh, to hear his story, um, and you know that all of the heavenly wealth uh, or all of the wealth in the world isn't going to be worth uh, what he now has in this whole long-term eternal view. And uh, he left us with uh, the final message of that you know the legacy that you leave is is really a measure of your love for God, and if it's all just about money. Uh, then, then your love may be misplaced. And um, the last speaker of the day, uh, I, I will say for me, while I had never heard of him, uh, actually had the most dramatic impact on me. And his name was Dr. Joe White. And Joe heads up uh, an organization called Men at the Cross. And they do uh, large uh, rallies of, of men and helping them understand uh, their significance in life, which doesn't come uh, from who they are, but really whose they are. Uh, Joe also runs uh, camps in southwest Missouri uh, for kids, uh, particularly for teens. 
And Joe did just an unbelievable presentation, which was all centered about this uh, YouTube video that he showed, of, uh, and I'm going to have to find it and post it on the Solutions Live site, but about a guy who's walking down the street, and he finds a stethoscope uh, on the ground, and he picks up that stethoscope, and as he puts it up to different things, uh, physical things, different songs would play, and it was actually meant to be funny, but um, you know, he would put it up to a, a uh, uh, fire hydrant, and you know, who who let the dogs out would start playing, and and again, it was it was really a very very clever uh, video, as many of of the popular videos on YouTube were. But what Joe did is he transformed that into a message. And again, remember that the people in this room are leaders in the business community here in Tampa, Florida. These are CEOs of companies, large companies, small companies, entrepreneurs, consultants, uh, people who have been brought there for the purpose of being reshaped, uh, being transformed so that they can transform the Tampa Bay community. Um, So what Joe did is he said, what song would they hear if they put that stethoscope up to you? And wow, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop uh, in the room. But he went through and and talked about the importance of song in your life. And if you have been in a place, and and again, moving back to our last interview uh, with Leah and Briar Rose, if you have uh, grown up in uh, an environment where you've been abused or you've been in a homeless shelter or you've lived in poverty, as Maureen Dunkel did, uh, you know, have you been hearing a sad song all your life and believing that, you know, that's what your song is going to be? And he talked uh, about what would happen again, and he brought up this same thing. What would happen if I would look at you through the eyes of your kids? And, oh, uh, you know, again, you know, I mean, that, that sometimes can be like getting a kick in the stomach. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is he talked about how so many people have actually a broken record playing over and over again about their worthlessness. And he said, what if instead you sang your song uh, like Psalm 34 of, you know, what if this was the last day of your life? And he played a a really powerful movie clip. Um, And and again, he didn't tell us what any of these movies were, and it was one I hadn't seen. But it was somebody who was uh, just pounding Johnny Cash about uh, an interview, or not an interview, but uh, a Oh, <laughs> I'm forgetting the word when you come in to do a music uh, show for someone to try out for something. But at any rate, you know what I'm talking about. And and the song was uh, sung, and it, it was a gospel tune, and and it was sung very weak and and you know with no no uh, feeling. And the guy who who was listening said, uh, and he was the record promoter said, "No, you got to sing that song like it's the last day of your life." And and so, again, he went through all different movie clips and songs, and, and the amazing thing about Joe is that he had the ability, um, well, I mean, it's something he's worked on all of his life, I'm sure, of, of memorizing scripture. And, I mean, he would uh, play music in the background, and he would quote the entire book of Psalm 139, which has to be my all-time favorite um, book in the Bible. He said, what if that were the song in your life and knowing that you're not alone? 
and and knowing that you're running this race and that God knows the beginning and the middle and the end. And, you know, he told the story of Eric Liddell, uh, who uh, I believe it was back in the 20s or 30s, uh, you know, was running a race and, and the concentration and the energy and the elation uh, that goes into running a race. And, uh, you know, where does the power come, uh, you know, from to do that kind of thing, particularly when you're pushing yourself beyond, uh, you know, what you see around you. And, you know, again, the bottom line was that Joe talked about how, you know, God had made him for a purpose and uh, and talked again about Eric Liddell's story where he said, you know, God made me fast and I run for his pleasure. And uh, also told the story of Timmy Tebow, uh, who I had forgotten the story that he had grown up uh, in the Philippines. And uh, actually, the story was that his mother had nearly aborted him because she uh, had been told that she would die if if, uh, she gave birth. And as a four-year-old, he dreamed his dream. And and Timmy is uh, just an amazing quarterback um, on on, uh, the Florida uh, and you Florida fans are going to have to forgive me. It's the team out of uh, out of Tallahassee, so I'm I'm hoping it's the Gators. But if I've gotten that wrong, you'll forgive me. But you know, talking about how dreams really do come true, and how Timmy has has uh, really lived his dream, and he's also given uh, God all the glory. And um, uh, again, uh, some of the most powerful moments on Tuesday morning were when Joe uh, again played the music and and quoted scripture and talked about Second Corinthians four, uh, forgetting what lies uh, behind and pressing on toward the goal. And uh, you know, it's it's really been amazing uh, for me because the whole focus of this show ha- has been on leaving a legacy. And the whole focus of Tuesday morning uh, was about leaving a legacy. And again, these businessmen had gone through uh, nine months of of training on being a leader. And uh, the the most amazing thing about Joe's story, and uh, again, he he talked about uh, a lot about songs and and you know what the gift of a song and a powerful song and a positive song in your life can do. And at the end of his talk, he shared with us that he has been struggling with leukemia and he has been struggling with cancer, and that the following day he was going to go in and meet with his doctor, and that he was going to share his song. And, you know, learning to be bold in his walk and sharing uh, his song about how he has been able to change his world uh, despite what's going on in his body and and despite what he sees, uh, you know, on on the past medical tests, that, you know, he is still going to press on uh, toward the goal and forgetting what lies behind, forgetting even what's right before him. And I was so amazingly inspired. Uh, It was just an unbelievable experience. And then, you know, this morning uh, to move on and and listen to what Jared had to say. And, you know, if, if you find out a little bit more about Jared, uh, and, and if you missed his interview, please go back and, and listen to it. That was at the 10 o'clock hour this morning. Um, he was talking about how in his life he had to look at, um, you know, he had always been hoping that the answer would come from other people and, and from listening to other formulas and other stories. And so many of us do that instead of realizing that the power is within ourselves. 
And uh, then we heard the amazing story of the Cambridge Christian uh, kids who are going to learn how to be business people tomorrow, and we're going to hear the rest of their story uh, actually next week. And uh, again, Leah and Briar Rose, who told uh, their story about giving and overcoming uh, just incredible obstacles. So in closing, uh, I want to talk, uh, I want to give you actually the lyrics uh, to the song Legacy, which is the the song that I chose as as the uh, theme song for this show. And the song is by Nicole Nordman. And here are the words. I don't mind if you've got something nice to say about me, and I do enjoy an accolade like the rest. You could take my picture and hang it in a gallery of all the who's and who's and so-and-so's that used to be the best. And such and such, it wouldn't matter much. I won't lie. It feels all right to see your name in lights. We all need an attaboy or an girl. But in the end, I'd like to hang my hat on more besides the temporary trappings of this world. I want to leave a legacy. How will you remember me? Did I choose to love? Did I point to you enough to make a mark on things? I want to leave an offering, a child of mercy and grace who blessed your name unapologetically and leave that kind of legacy. I don't have to look too far or too long a while to make a lengthy list of all that I enjoy. It's an accumulating trinket and a treasure pile where moth and rust and thieves and such will soon destroy. Not well-traveled, not well-read, not well-to-do or well-bred, just one here instead. Well done, good and faithful one. Have a great day and go and leave your legacy. For more information about Solutions Live, please see www.solutionslive.blogspot.com. That's Solutions with a Z. I trust that today's show provided some information and some inspiration. Go out and begin to leave your legacy today.